For some context, I'm a 16-year-old male. Last year I got into a horrible accident which resulted in me almost dying. Because of that accident, my chest and my breathing starts to hurt at random moments. My limbs also start to shake uncontrollably. Anyways, I live and was raised in the countryside. We live on a really big property with a lot of bushes and trees. I'm also very paranoid and I don't typically trust any strangers. So it's half past one in the morning and I'm watching a movie while on the couch. My parents were asleep and my sister was out of town drinking when suddenly I saw the motion detecting light flip on outside. The shutters were shut but the light was so bright that you could actually see cracks of light coming right through the shutters. Then I heard the back door start to rattle. I thought it was just my sister who had come home from drinking. She didn't come in for another 20 minutes though, so I asked her what she was doing staying outside that long. What do you mean? I just came home, she said. I brushed it off thinking that it must have been the wind because there was a very heavy storm going on that night. Me and my sister part ways for the night and we both go to bed. The next night it's 1.15am and I was making myself a sandwich in the kitchen which connects to the garage. I also want to add that my dog and cat also sleep in the garage. Then out of nowhere, my dog started going crazy, barking really loud. At first I thought he was barking at the cat, but when he didn't stop after a minute, that's when I started to get suspicious. Then I remembered what went down last night. Like I said before, I'm really paranoid, so I go to grab my knife since all of the guns are kept in the garage. Just when I'm about to go into the garage, my dog finally shuts up. I put my ear against the garage door for several minutes. Nothing. Really freaked out, I just decided to go to bed. I decided I would tell my parents about it the next day, but they just brushed it off. It's now the next night, and it's 1.46am. At this point, I was honestly just expecting for the dog to start barking, with my knife in hand. And there it was. My dog started going absolutely ballistic yet again. This time I rush to the garage, and just as I'm approaching it, I then start to hear shuffling in the garage. Now I'm positive somebody's in there. I slammed open the door, and what do you know? Nothing. I search the entire fucking garage, and still nothing. I tell my mom since my dad was on a business trip. I told her that we might need to call the police. She didn't believe me, and she actually forbade me from calling the cops. I went back downstairs thinking I was going crazy. Maybe this really was just all in my head. And that's when I then heard a whistle right through the window. I then ran to the window and opened the shutters. Nothing. I started walking to the garage when I heard another tap, followed by another whistle at the kitchen window. I swung open the blinds to see the motion sensor light on. I burst in the garage to grab a shotgun, but it's empty. I was looking everywhere for the ammo, but I couldn't find one single shell anywhere. That's when I then realized that the shotgun ammo wasn't the only ammo that was missing. All of the ammo, rifle, pistol, revolver, and shotgun were all gone. Then I heard three taps right on the garage door right next to me, followed by yet another whistle and a laugh. Luckily I knew where my dad had kept the spare ammo hidden at, so I grabbed the shells from the hidden stash, which was luckily not found by the guy. I go back inside the living room to hear more taps and whistles at every fucking window. The living room window, the kitchen, the game room, the garage, everywhere. The guy kept tapping and whistling and sometimes laughing at every fucking window. 
I really have no idea how he was managing this. We live in a really huge house. He must have been literally sprinting around the house, and even if he was, it would be almost impossible to keep this up. I was waiting outside the kitchen door for him to show up at the window, and there it was, the taps and the whistle and that damn laugh. I then burst out the door, locked and loaded. He was gone, or so I thought, because when I then looked up, I saw a tall, slim black shape in a hoodie right on the roof. Just when I'm about to shoot it, I drop to the ground, unable to breathe because of my condition. While I lay there on the cold ground, I aim my gun at the guy on the roof, but my body starts to shake uncontrollably, also because of my condition. The guy jumps down, and I kid you not, he puts his fucking lips right on my ear and starts whistling. I lay there, pretty sure I'm about to die, when he then starts walking off in the direction of my pool. After two or three minutes, I scramble myself up using my shotgun as a sort of walking stick because my legs are still shaking. I thought that he was now gone, so I went back inside. This time when I told my mom, she finally believed me. But just right when we were about to call the cops, we take a look outside the window, and I kid you not, we actually saw this guy's head popping out from the pool. The cops eventually arrived and they searched the property. They found all the missing ammo in our shed. They also found muddy footprints all around our property. And get this, the words oh no carved in the wall. We also managed to find out that he got inside the garage by moving a heavy metal plate which blocked a hole to the outside. An absolute nightmare. So to the whistling psychotic laughing maniac, I dare you to come back so I can finish the job this time. I'm telling this story on behalf of my friend who experienced this traumatic incident. It will be told from his perspective. Also, I apologize in advance since English is not my first language. First, to provide some background, I'm a 21-year-old guy and I live in what I like to call medical housing. Basically, in this little village I live in, you either must be retired or have health problems like I do, but at the same time, you must be able to be somewhat self-sufficient. Each resident has their own cottage. The layout of the cottage can either be one bedroom or two bedrooms. Mine was a one bedroom. As soon as you walk into the cottage, you walk into the living room and then the dining room is on the right. And in the dining room, there is a way to the back porch. Then there's a kitchen, a small hallway in the living room that leads to the bathroom and the bedroom. There is a closet in the living room by the front door, another closet in the bedroom, then there is a huge walk-in closet in the bedroom as well. This is just the layout of my specific cottage. Each cottage is different. Now, on to the story. This incident took place two weeks ago. While I was at social hour with a few of my fellow residents at the village, a couple of them were mentioning how they were getting knocks on the door at night and on the windows. One resident claimed that someone even tried to twist the doorknob on her front door, but luckily it was nighttime when this took place and it was locked. We all just thought it was just a couple of kids being little delinquents since we were not too far from another neighborhood. We just assumed that the person was just messing around. Our village did not have a whole lot of security because at the time we did not feel very many disturbances. We didn't really think that we needed it, being so tucked away in a safe area. Fast forward a few days. I had to go to physical therapy and I must have forgotten to lock my front door or my back porch door which again, due to how safe the area usually is, I did not worry too much about. 
Even during this pandemic, the village is very vibrant. You often see a bunch of residents walking around and talking to one another, since we are such a tight-knit community. So usually, if someone tried to sneak in that should not be there, someone would catch on. When I got home from physical therapy, I was extremely tired, and I took a long nap. I woke up to my neighbor from across the street coming in to help me get set up on all my machines, such as my feeding machine and my breathing equipment for the night. Her name is Vicky. She is an overly sweet, compassionate, and motherly person. Before her and her husband retired, she used to be a nurse and her husband, Frank, used to be a police officer. I got to know them well, since Vicky helped me become Catholic two years prior. During the day, we have staff that come help us with our basic needs if we need it, such as getting to and from our bathroom and bed safely. They are not trained with medical training that I need, but a lot of the residents that I know that live here used to be nurses before they retired. We made it a little routine in our little village that for some of the residents like me who are not retired but younger with health problems, the more able-bodied retired residents if they used to be nurses would go help the residents that have health problems with their medical care since they have years of medical experience under their belt. I was waking up from my nap when Vicky said, Hey sweetheart, I'm here to do the care for you. Before she could finish her sentence, she paused while she was grabbing the IV bag for the night. Then. Out of nowhere, she went over to my furnace and turned on my heat, but she didn't really twist the dial and she said, That's strange. Your heat's not working. It's supposed to be a cold night tonight, and we cannot have you sleeping without any heat due to your health. Why don't you come stay at my cottage for the night until maintenance comes and fix your heat in the morning? I was very groggy from being tired and doing lots of work at physical therapy that I did not think twice about what she said until I saw the look on her face. She used to be in a theater group when she was in college, and since I grew up in theater groups as well, I could tell when someone was acting, and even though she was a good actor, I could tell something was going on. She was pretending that my heat was not working. I was nervous and wondering what was going on, but I just went along with it. All my medical supplies that I would need for the night were right next to my travel suitcase that would fit all my supplies and my feeding pump was on my IV pole, my oxygen tank was on wheels, and my BiPAP could easily be packed into my travel suitcase. She got everything packed up quickly and she helped me get up and walk to my front door, and I could tell she was going a little fast, but I was too tired to say anything. While she was walking me out of the house, I heard something come from my walk-in closet, and I assumed it was just the cat using his litter box or something. Due to my health problems and my breathing, it's really not good if I get scared. I could stop breathing altogether. The reason why I say this is because when she got me in the house, and as Frank was getting the extra bed set up for me, she explained to me, that when she was grabbing an IV bag from where I keep them, since it was right next to the walk-in closet, she caught a glimpse of someone crouching in my closet and she had to pretend that my heater was not working. I felt like I was going to throw up, because for all I know, that person could have been in there the entire time I was at physical therapy, or they could have made their way in there while I was taking a nap. The sense of serenity I had at that village was temporarily gone. Vicky could tell I was disturbed by this, so she gave me a hug and said, Don't be scared. Frank and I will be here with you all night. I wish I could say this was the end of the story, but it is not. After Vicky got me ready for the night and while I was sleeping, I woke up to hearing tapping on the spare bedroom window and lo and behold, I saw the person that Vicky was talking about who was hiding in my closet. It was a man. I do not know how tall he was, but from my guess, he was probably six feet tall, maybe a little under. He literally tapped on the window and said, I see you awake in there and I'm coming in one way or another. 
I called for Vicky, and she woke up right away and said it concerned, Frank, get your gun now. Even though he's retired, Frank is still an intimidating guy, even without the gun, and both him and Vicky were rushing in the room. Since I could not get up on my own due to me being hooked up to my machines, I was beyond scared because I really could not defend myself. As soon as they both came in, Frank pointed his gun at the lunatic who was still at the window. Frank said, Get off my property before I blow your freaking brains out, you nutcase. As Frank was threatening the crazy person at the other side of the window, Vicky was helping me get up and both her and I went and hid in the walk-in closet in the master bedroom. She locked the door to the master bedroom. Because I was starting to get really scared, it was starting to affect my breathing. And even though I was still hooked up to my oxygen, due to how scared I was, there was a risk that I could stop breathing out of nowhere due to me being really scared. When I was having trouble breathing, Vicky said, Honey, I know you're scared, but I need you to do some nice and easy breathing. A few minutes later, there was a knocking at the master bedroom door. Vicky asked who it was and it was Frank. As soon as she went and opened the door, Frank came rushing in and told her to call the police because the guy was not just tapping on the window now, he was literally banging. Vicky called the police and luckily, since they do drive-bys at the village quite frequently, a cop car was not far away. When they came, they found cracks in her window in the spare bedroom, but unfortunately, they did not find the guy. The police asked if I could give them a statement on what went on, but Vicky told them that would not be possible because of my breathing. I was practically traumatized. I was so scared. So Frank gave my statement on behalf of me. Due to the cracks on the window and me being beyond shaken up, there was no way I was sleeping in that spare bedroom, and now my breathing had to be watched carefully throughout the night. Frank slept in the spare bedroom that night while Vicky and I slept in the master. I was a bit more comforted there. The police got in contact with the staff at the office the next day regarding what happened, and ever since this incident, the staff has hired overnight security guards and day security. They are working on raising enough money to set up a gate to block people from coming in that should not be there. A few days after this, Frank installed security cameras and alarms in my cottage, and in his as well. Now, I always make sure I lock my door when I'm going out when I'm taking a nap, and at night. When I was an infant, I was in a freak accident where a gun in the back of my parents' pickup had actually misfired, and the bullet went through my mom's wrist, both top and bottom, and then the bullet entered through my left foot right on the side and up through the top. I still have my foot, and I got super lucky. Fast forward about 34 years. It's now March 2018. I'm battling one of the worst ear infections I've ever had. I had barely slept for days because I couldn't lay my head flat without bawling my eyes out. My fiancé Steve had been working construction and he takes sleeping meds in order to fall asleep. So we go to bed on this Thursday night as he had to work early in the morning on the Friday. I was finally beating the ear infection so this night I was totally out sleeping so heavy for the first time in days. I awoke to a noise but just assumed Steve was getting up to go to the bathroom or something, so I dozed right back off, but then I heard yelling. I'm in a brain fog and my brain isn't awake or processing anything. I heard more yelling so I remember jumping out of the bed and standing up in the dark and I was able to comprehend that it was Steve yelling. For some reason, I thought that maybe the cops were in my house or something. But the first words my brain actually understood were, Give me the money. Wait, what? The cops don't yell that. What the hell's going on here? 
Steve is buck naked in all his glory, charging at these assailants, and then he slams our bedroom door, trying to keep them from getting into the room where I am. These bastards try swinging the door open, and Steve slams the door shut again. All of a sudden, I start hearing popping noises. These motherfuckers were actually shooting at us. I watch Steve Spider-Man around the room trying to not take a bullet, but keeping our door shut so they can't get to me. I hear Steve yelling, Get the gun! Get the gun! And my brain is thinking, why on earth would I charge these intruders and get their gun? Like I said before, I was sleeping super hard and the brain fog in my brain in stupid mode. I finally realized that he's talking about getting our gun. Yeah, I'm a dumbass. So I click the light on, grab our gun, and then hand it to Steve. These junky piece of shit intruders have now ran out the very same way they came in. Through the back door. Apparently my idiot roommate hadn't locked the back door. Anyways, I'm now shaking and I'm damn near hysterical at this point. Steve was grazed by two of the six bullets that had been shot at us. I spent an entire month tending to his wounds and nursing him back to health. We also got a dog and we installed a home security system. I sometimes still put a chair under the doorknob some nights, and I haven't had a good night's sleep in like two years. Most nights, Steve would have slept right through anything due to the meds, and I would have woke up to them. But by some miracle, he heard them first and protected me and himself like a true hero. He wasn't even supposed to be home yet. He was supposed to be in Florida until the next week, but came home early. I absolutely tremble at what these two armed robbers would have done to a woman all alone sleeping heavily and having no clue that they were there until it was too late. I think that I'm cursed or that the people who love me the most always end up having to take a bullet for me. My mom did it first and now my fiance has too. It scares me to tears to think that anyone that's close to me keeps having these freak gunshot incidents just for being close to me. To the dirty scumbag piece of shit intruders that broke into my house and took away my sense of security. I really fucking hope karma gets you. I work as a security guard for an alarm response company. We answer alarms for businesses and private residences. 99% of the time it's usually a motion detector set off by a cat or a restaurant forgot to disarm their stuff before the stock truck arrived to unload. In this specific case, I was called out to a house where the back door alarm was set off, like it thought someone opened it. The owner was out of town, but she was alerted by her app and she had her mother meet me there. We checked the door. It's locked. We figured that maybe someone tried the door, but that it didn't budge, then setting off the alarm, but there's a light on inside. The mom mentions this to the daughter on the phone. Daughter says she isn't sure if she left the light on or not. It's a good idea to make people think someone's home, but she isn't sure. Well, that gave me a bad tingle. The mother wanted to go inside to check, but she didn't have a spare key. The neighbor did, but they were asleep and the mom didn't want to wake them. So I fill out my papers and go back to my normal patrol routes. An hour later, the same home sends an alert out. No, I'm the only one in my city zone, so I answer it again. When I pull up, police and CSI are there talking to the mother and now the awake neighbor. They're reviewing the video footage sent to them by the daughter. I look at the footage. 
There were four armed men wearing masks and hoodies that came out of the bathroom literally a minute after the mother and I left. They proceeded to rob the place. They had apparently broken in and then locked the door behind them for appearances. They're the ones who turned on the light. The mother then told me that three guys had robbed her daughter's home about a month before. Somehow they just knew when this girl would be out of town. They appeared smart, desiring a quiet robbery without any conflict, but they brought guns, so I guess they were prepared to shoot their way out of trouble if need be. The mother had wanted to go in that night. If she had had a key or woken the neighbor for the key, we would have likely been shot dead by these guys when we went inside. My word doesn't give me Kevlar vests or anything. If I ever get another house call when someone is there, I am definitely not going inside no matter what is asked of me. I count myself fortunate the way was blocked this time because I was absolutely prepared to foolishly go in and check if I could. The 1% of calls where something is actually off, it's never been as bad as this one. To those armed robbers, I'm really, really glad we never met. Several years ago, when I was 25 years old, I lived with, at the time, one of my best friends. Our friendship eventually started to dwindle, so she was rarely home. This night, however, she ended up staying at our place and then heading to bed pretty early. I was a server at the time, so I stayed up pretty late, usually watching YouTube and smoking pot. This night was no different than any other, except for the fact that my neighbors actually tried to kidnap me. I'll go ahead and give you some background information on my house and my neighbors. We lived in a three-bedroom house with two bedrooms and the kitchen facing the crazy neighbors. They were a younger couple living in a smaller mill house. They were constantly coming to our door asking for handouts. Now, normally I'd be really happy to help a neighbor out, but they would come over and ask for crazy things like for us to fill up an old Mountain Dew bottle with water because theirs had shut off or something as well as for beer, and they once literally asked us for a dollar. They would consistently be knocking at our door to ask for help, and whenever we wouldn't answer, I would peek through the window to either see them jacking cigarette butts from the ashtray, or pressing their eyeballs against the door peephole to see if they could spot us. It was really strange. Anyway, there I was smoking some weed and watching some YouTube on my couch, when I then heard a knock at the door. I rolled my eyes because I knew exactly who had came knocking. It was 11 p.m. and I checked the peephole, and sure enough, it was the boyfriend right on my porch. Normally, I'd just walk away and continue with my life, but he looked like he was in distress this night, so I opened the door to see what was up. Hey, uh, I just wanted to come over and see if you would film my engagement. I, uh, got my girlfriend a ring here in my pocket, and I need you to follow me to my backyard and film it for me. Baffled, but really curious. I told him congrats and said that I'd be out in just a second and just needed to put my shoes on. I shut the door behind me, then locked it. Quickly, I ran into the back room that looked out into their backyard. I started peeking through the blinds to see the setup. Nothing. It was pitch black darkness. There was absolutely no sign of decorations or anything like that. Now naturally, I woke up my roommate to tell her what was going on. Uh, yeah, screw that. She said to me, and we both walked back up to the door after the boyfriend started banging on the door. I looked through the peephole again. I couldn't really see anything, and I was really confused, 
That is, until I saw him pull his eyeball away from the peephole. I quickly turned around and then put my back right up against the door. My roommate came running back to the door from a room holding two wire hangers for protection. We both just clung under the hangers and set up against the door until he finally left. We were so freaked out, but we wanted to make sure that we weren't overreacting. We decided to go out our back door and hopped into her car so we could do a drive-by. They always had their front door open and they also didn't have any blinds, so it was really easy to see in their house. Very slowly, we crept by in her car and peered into the living room. Sitting on the couch and all staring at the wall was there the couple and the older man. We sped off and we ended up staying at a friend's house that night. I never answered the door for either of them ever again. One day I came home from work and there was an older lady that was parked in their driveway. She walked up to me as I got out of my car and asked if I knew where the neighbors were. I told her that I hadn't seen them in quite a while and she informed me that she was the owner of the house. She told me that they were months late on rent and it finally came to evict them. She entered the home to find it completely trashed, needles and garbage all over the place, holes in the wall, and literally shit on the floor. I told her I was really sorry to hear that she had to deal with all that, but that I was happy they were finally gone. I'm really not 100% sure what was going on that night, but I'm really glad that I didn't follow him to the backyard. Who the hell knows what they actually had planned. Before starting the story, I wanted to share some context. I'm a 26-year-old female who unfortunately gets a lot of unwanted attention. I'm married and at the time of the story, my husband's brother had lived with us. We live in newly built townhomes and everyone in the unit had actually moved in within the same week of each other. In the townhome next to us lived a mom and her late 20, early 30-year-old son. And next to them lives another young married couple. We'll call her I and him P. We became friends with them because we're in the same age group. Now, this happened a little over a year ago, and we noticed that the mom and son had a guest staying with them. We didn't think much of it. Well, one morning I was walking my dog, and as soon as I walked out the door, I began to smell cigarettes. But I didn't really think too much of it because my brother-in-law smokes. Right in front of our townhome is a long patch of land that hasn't been built on yet and I always walk my dog around there every morning. Once I reached it, I had heard someone behind me then say, You look really lovely today. I looked back, and I saw that it was the guy that had been staying with my neighbor. I was kind of confused because I had just rolled out of my bed still in my PJs. He then said good morning, and I said good morning back. He then asked if I smoked, and I said no. I was already getting really creeped down by this guy, so I just kept walking and by the time I walked back home, he was already gone. When I got inside and told my husband, he thought it was odd. We don't really know anything about this guy or who he is, so my husband just told me to be careful when I walk our dog. The very next morning when I went to walk our dog, I looked out to see if the creepy neighbor was out. I didn't see him, so I went on a walk. About a minute later, I had felt someone behind me and as I looked around, Lo and behold, it was him. I walked a little faster to put some distance between us, and that's when our dog needed to do her business. That's when I took her to the side so that my dog could poop. That's when the neighbor got closer to us, and the dog started barking and wouldn't stop. So I started to fast walk to a different spot in the neighborhood so that she could finish. 
He followed me there, and he got close yet again. It made me and the dog really uncomfortable, so I just decided to leave and go back home. Keep in mind, our dog still hasn't had a chance to do her business yet. Anyways, my husband was already at work, but I still wanted to call him to let him know what happened. He said to feed her and get ready for work, and maybe by the time I finished, the creepy neighbor would finally be back inside. So I did so, and when I decided to walk the dog again, I opened my front door, and to my surprise, he was in the middle of the road throwing punches. I closed my door immediately and decided to take her to my parents' house before going to work and that I would just pick her up after I got off. During the rest of this week, I would only walk her whenever my husband was home because I just felt uncomfortable, but I wasn't really sure if it was just me being paranoid. He didn't follow me again, but every time I walked, he would go outside to smoke and just watch me. I did tell my family about this though, just so they would be aware. It was now the Tuesday right before Thanksgiving, and my mom and sister had decided to come over to help decorate the outside of my home for Christmas. I went inside to look for something, and one of my sisters and my mom had stayed outside. The creepy neighbor had came out and looked at them, and then said, Oh, there's two of you. My sister and mom came back inside immediately because they felt uncomfortable, now knowing that he had followed me before. They stayed a little bit longer, but they had to leave because it was getting late. About 30 minutes later, my brother-in-law comes home and I asked if he knew who the guy was staying with the neighbor. He asked me why and what was wrong, and I told him what had been happening. He then bolted out the front door, not saying where or what he was going to do. Since it was now midnight, my husband and I went to bed. I had to work all day the next day, so I didn't get a chance to talk to my brother-in-law and ask what happened. It's two days later and in the morning, which is now Thanksgiving Day, so I was walking my dog out like I normally do. On my way back, I see the mom who lives next door purposely checking her mail right at the same time I was walking outside. She then stops me and she asks me what the issue was that I was having with her son. So it's her son. And that's when I realized that he was probably there to stay and not just visiting. I then told her that he had been following me around in the neighborhood and that it made me really uncomfortable. She then went on to tell me that I had nothing to worry about and that he's really harmless. That he has some personal issues that he deals with by walking, but that he really means no harm. Not believing a word that she said, I replied back with, Okay, thanks. Then went back inside. When my brother-in-law came downstairs, I asked if he had talked to the mom. That's when he then told me what happened. He said that he banged on her door until she finally answered, and he told her to keep her son in check, and that if he ever hears that his sister-in-law has another encounter with him, they were going to have a serious problem. My brother-in-law is a pretty intimidating guy, and he has a really short temper, so he made it very clear not to screw around with me or my husband. Since he was so pissed off, he went over to INP's house to cool off. Since he's been living with us, he became pretty good friends with P, and he also told them what happened. About a week later, me and I went to lunch, and what she told me next made my heart just drop. Apparently, the creepy neighbor guy is bipolar as well as schizophrenic. She told me that all the things the creepy neighbor was doing to me, he was doing to other women as well. One woman actually tried to pepper spray him, and he actually blocked it and grabbed the pepper spray right out of her hands, which happened to be attached to her keys, and in the attempt of getting her keys from her, he had actually punched the woman in her face. The woman called the police and got a restraining order on him, so he couldn't live in the apartment complex anymore. 
His mom put him in a hotel while she figured out his living situation, and he was creeping out the other guests over there as well. The manager tried to kick him out, but the creepy neighbor started talking a lot of nonsense and threatened to shoot up the place. The manager had to get the police involved just to get him out of there. They had finally kicked him out, so he went to live with his aunt until his mom's lease was up and she was able to move. So that's why he lives with his mom again. The mom actually has the audacity to say that her son is harmless when he's even hit her. She's afraid of her own son. The mom told I this way before he ever moved back in with her. I haven't had an issue with him since my brother-in-law went over there. Luckily, I work enough to be out of the house, but I still try to avoid being home alone. It's absolutely horrible not feeling safe in your own home. I'm really, really looking forward to the day we move. For years, I've been paranoid about changing near or around a window. I think it all leads back to the story that I'm about to tell you. For the record, I'm a female, and this happened to me 10 years ago when I was 13. My parents had divorced when I was one, and my brother was three, so we would visit my dad in his mobile home every weekend. It was the summer before I started eighth grade, and I was at my dad's house with my brother for the weekend. My dad had to take my stepmom to a doctor's appointment that was right down the street for a few hours. He had done this before because we had cell phones and we never really left the house because we didn't really have any friends over at my dad's. My brother is two years older than I am, so he was considered the responsible one. We had a routine that we would follow every time we visited my dad. Get up and sneak whatever breakfast we could before our stepmom got up. And then I'd watch a movie in my room, and my brother would play the Xbox in his room, which was right next to mine. I had just finished up watching Live Free or Die Hard when I decided to get dressed and start my chores. The way that my room was set up, I had a rolled bunk bed pressed against the window so that my feet would be facing the window and my head would be near the door. The TV was right across from that, so there was only a little narrow area in the middle where I could walk or get dressed. My dog Chester was on the bottom bunk laying in what little son came into my room. As I was finishing putting my t-shirt on, I noticed that Chester had sat up looking towards the window. He slowly moved towards it and then started to growl. Now, my dog wasn't really that intimidating and he really only barked whenever he was excited or when someone knocked on our door, but I had never heard him growl before, like ever. Immediately, I was on alert, really unsure of what was going on. I got as close to the far wall as I could and then looked out the window. I didn't see anything and I tried to calm him down, but me getting closer to the window seemed to only get him even more protective. Right after I had walked away was when you get that really bad feeling you get when you just know you're being watched. As I turned, I saw a right hand come up to the glass on my window and then pause right before the left one joined it. I froze in place when finally a face appeared that I had recognized. It was my neighbor that was five houses down from us. He had always given me the creeps, and I guess my intuition was right. He was looking around my room when his eyes finally landed on me. He gave me this really eerie smile, and he gestured for me to come to the window. I just shook my head and reached for the baseball bat that I had on my wall. My dog was going absolutely apeshit seeing this guy look at me, now snarling and lunging at the window. The guy tried to slide open my window, and that's when I yelled for my brother. 
I think that the man thought I was home alone because the horror that came across his face when my brother ran in then made him realize he couldn't do anything to me. He took off running down the street to his house while my brother and I shouted at him from the porch while my dog was fighting to try and get past us to chase him. My brother and I sat on the couch after that and talked about what happened. We pretty much both agreed that it would just be smarter to never tell our dad about it and that I was never to walk near his house. The only thing that I really regret from this incident was that our other neighbor that my stepmom was really close with was actually attacked by him a few months later. I had felt that because I didn't say anything that I would actually allowed it to happen. Luckily she wasn't hurt, but when I told her about the man and what he did, she gave me a hug and she agreed that it wasn't something to tell my dad, but that she would handle it. I guess she did, because a year later he was then gone and I never saw him again after that. I only really told my dad's mom about the incident when she had moved into the house and I was already 21 years old and didn't stay the weekends anymore. I told her to never tell my dad because I just knew how he'd react. Well, that didn't happen and later that night, my dad ended up chewing me out for not telling him. I told him that if he knew what had happened, my weekend visits to him would have been in prison because he probably would have gone over to the man's house and killed him. He agreed, but he wanted me to tell the full story to him and my stepmom. Despite how long ago this was, I'm still really afraid I'll see him again. That he'll end up being a dot on a map near my house or that I'll wake up with him peering through my window. Due to this event, it really turned me into a really paranoid person. Anytime there's a little sound near the window whenever I'm getting dressed, I kid you not, I'm always reaching for something to fight for my life. If it wasn't for my dog and the fact that I changed so fast, who really knows what the man would have tried to do to me or what he would have seen when he looked in my window. To everyone out there, please stay vigilant and always trust your gut. So I'm in my early 20s and female. I moved out on my own for the first time about two years ago. I haven't really had much to do with any of my neighbors and I've always been slightly uneasy due to the fact that no one around here is looking out for me. If anything seems off, literally no one would even notice or do any investigating to make sure I'm okay. Last year I noticed a man that was constantly walking his dog in the grass area behind my home. This isn't unusual to see, it's a pretty common area for my residence here. His dog is super cute and my cat liked to play with it through the glass door out back. They would chase each other back and forth and put their paws up on the glass and such. You know, real cute stuff. Well, one day I was outside and his dog came running up to the porch with glee and to get pets and say hi to his kitty friend, my cat. Now, this is the first time that I actually spoke to this neighbor. We'll call him Mark. So Mark seemed decent enough and we got along just fine. We started hanging out pretty often in a short time period because I'm a smoker and he was letting his dog out all the time and it was also summer so we would always run into each other quite often. Most days we would spend an hour or more after work just talking. This lasted for a couple of weeks. I gave him my phone number and I was just really happy to have a friend in my complex now. I will say, however, he was clearly very interested in either having a romantic relationship with me or friends with benefits. I was very honest with him that I really wasn't interested in either of those at all, and I actually had to tell him this quite often. Frankly, I was getting rather irritated that this always came up several times every time we spoke. 
He rather quickly was really trying to get me in his house, from the first time we talked until the last. He always offered multiple times every time I saw him. I always said no and blamed it on me being COVID cautious. Well, he quickly got tired of that excuse and he invited himself into my home as well. But of course, I always said no. One day he came out while I was smoking with a bottle of wine and a couple of glasses, saying that I had to try it because it was really delicious. I happened to instantly notice that the seal on the bottle was broken, but it also didn't seem like anything was drank. The bottle was filled to the brim. So he pours a couple of glasses and doesn't drop a beat in telling me, Go ahead, take a drink. I felt very uncomfortable, but I didn't want him to feel like he was being accused of anything when he was just trying to be a really nice neighbor. After all, he poured himself a glass of this very same stuff, right? I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Well, my mama still raised me better than that. So I totally faked a sip and said it was good. After any sentence that either of us had, he would tell me again to take another drink. I told him that I don't really drink though, so I'm pacing myself. But I did say that I noticed he hadn't drank any and to just please go ahead. He didn't reach for his glass right away, but in the middle of speaking, he reached for his cup and then knocked it over, spilling the wine all in the grass. He brushed it off rather quickly and he told me it was my turn to drink now. That's when I then said, But you still haven't even drank anything. You spilled your drink. Pour yourself another glass. I don't want to drink this alone. So he did. He still didn't drink anything. He did tell me a few moments later though to drink mine. I told him that he needs to catch up and we basically just kept doing that same old thing in circles. He reached for his glass again and guess what? Spilled it yet again. Wine is all in the grass once more. Then what do you know? He told me to drink. At this point I'm done. There's too many red flags that are screaming at me to get the hell out. I'm honest with him that this seemed really sketchy and I didn't trust the drink because he's refusing to drink any of it, but is so damn eager for me to drink mine. He told me that he was just clumsy and taking it slow because he doesn't drink a lot, but that he's seen me having friends over taking shots and drinking beers and wine, so he knows that I can handle it better than him. Yet another big red flag is raised. So he's been watching me now? What? I think it's important to mention that our complex is huge, and he doesn't live particularly near me. He's about a half a block away from me, and he can't see my windows or yard from where he lives. So I told him flat out that I'm not drinking anything anymore because of how this all seemed. He then once again pours himself a glass, and once again spills it. There isn't much left in the bottle at this point. I pour the remaining wine in his glass, and I tell him to drink it with me on three. We raise our glasses, and in my amazement, he actually takes a drink. And I then spilled mine into the grass. Oh well. He then comes out about two nights later while I was smoking, and instantly starts complaining to me that I wouldn't date him or have sex with him, and that he just really doesn't know why all girls are like this. He starts getting really loud and shouting at me, asking me what the problem with him is, and why I won't do these things. I told him that I had been honest with him since I had met him that I'm not interested in that and that it isn't him specifically, I'm just honestly not interested in that from anyone right now. He still shouted at me, and he was starting to complain about his ex and her dog. Yes, her dog. He then proceeded to tell me how he used to abuse the shit out of that dog, 
and then went into detail about how he wouldn't feed or water it because it used the bathroom in the house, and how he would kick it really hard. I'm absolutely horrified at this point, especially considering the whole time he's been telling me this story, he's been playing fetch with his own dog. His dog always seemed so scared of him, and I'd actually even pointed that out in the past. He would tell me that his dog's previous owners were abusive, so he's just very scared and distrusting. The dog was always very excited to see me, though, and would always cuddle up with me and stay right by me, so I just always thought I was extra special. But now with that newfound knowledge, I think that poor dog is just in an abusive household. I was just so done with this guy that I cut him off and said that I needed to go because my friends were waiting for me. He has sent me several messages of gibberish whenever he's outside. He'll blow my phone up with non-stop random messages and it'll just keep going on forever. He has texted me telling me that he knows I'm home because he's seen me walking around or that he sees my car in the parking lot. He'll throw his dog's toys on my porch and he'll stand outside of my porch for hours. I think in his mind since I'm a smoker, I'll eventually come outside. Silly him though, because whenever I see him out there, I'll just go out front. Before the wine fiasco ever went down, he had said several things to me that were also red flags. I guess the moral of the story is to just trust your gut. Still to this day, he's bothering me, and like I had said before, we only spoke and hung out for a couple of weeks in summer of 2020. My last message from him was last night. He asked me what he had done wrong and if I had felt disrespected in any way. I haven't spoken to him since he screamed at me for not sleeping with him. I thought about answering his text with the brutal truth about how twisted and creepy he presented himself as, along with how uncomfortable he made me feel, but I didn't want to give him any ideas on how he should improve. Stay smart, folks. Don't ever drink things people give you if the seal is broken. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that he was definitely trying to drug me. The story takes place at a small hotel where I worked at. My coworker had just finished up her eight hours and I was due to leave pretty soon. It was 10 p.m. on a weekday. So the only people working there were me and the dining lady who also cleans and does a few other odd jobs around the hotel. We were at low occupancy, so it was dead quiet. The lobby and the sitting area were really empty. Really my only comfort was the TV. It was an easy night, so at least I had that going for me. Then I get a call. The caller ID didn't display a nine-digit number like it usually does but instead, it's the last four digits of the hotel's phone number, which does tend to happen if someone's calling from one of the phones in the hallway. Also, guest calls almost always come through the front desk phone designated for rooms, but at times, they end up being directed to the superset phones, and so the caller ID will show the last four digits of the hotel phone number. So, it wasn't out of the ordinary, just rare. So anyways, there I am enjoying the quietness, googling random shit to pass the time and I pick up the phone and this guy answers. He sounds like he's in his 30s, maybe early 40s. He sounds really happy. He asks me how I was doing that night, which was really refreshing for a change. I engage even though I honestly really wasn't in the mood. He laughs and jokes around before then asking if anyone's made a noise complaint. Um, not to my knowledge, I tell him wondering in the back of my mind if I had heard anything that night. 
So he continues rather slowly because he's chuckling behind his words. I begin to hear someone else, a woman in the background. So I think that's cute. This guy sounds like he's having a blast with his wife or something like that. They're probably in there getting turned as hell. Then he says, Well, I was just calling to make sure because, you see, my mother-in-law is here with me and she can't stop laughing. I begin to laugh a little. How nice was it for him to call out of the concern for the other guests? I hear her as he's speaking. She's a little loud, but not enough for it to penetrate the walls or anything. I tell him it's totally fine. No big deal, honestly. I expect him to say something out of relief and hang up, but he just continues. I don't remember exactly what he said, but much of it was just him reiterating. It's just that she's laughing so much and won't stop. I try to be as nice and understanding as I can and just insist that it's fine once again. Then he asks me, Do you know why she's laughing? Ugh, he wants to have a conversation now. I honestly couldn't care less why his mother-in-law was laughing, but I'm a front desk agent. We do more than check people in and out. Sometimes we have to entertain. So I ask, Why? Why is she laughing? And then he starts laughing. He can't spit out his words fast enough because he's freaking laughing and I hear her too and I'm getting annoyed and slightly uncomfortable now. I wait another few seconds before he says it. Because I'm tickling her feet, that's why. Looking back now, I think to myself, why didn't I just hang up on the phone right then and there? There weren't words that I could use to respond to this guy because who the hell would, right? I was already hungry and tired. Now I was hungry, tired, confused, and mildly offended. And like an idiot, instead of shutting him down, I just laughed and said, Um, okay? And the guy goes, Yeah, I'm tickling my mother-in-law's feet and she loves it. She can't stop laughing. For some reason, I just couldn't control the nervous spurts of laughter that were coming out of my mouth. I'm listening to this woman in the background who sounds like a broken record at this point. She's laughing uncontrollably while I'm crying internally. Oh yeah, he says. She really loves it and I like it too. He sort of stopped laughing at this point and his voice then took on a really serious tone. And can you guess? I still didn't hang up the damn phone. I think at that point I was just zoning out. The dude just continues to talk about how much he's enjoying this. Good for you. I tell him, and I try to cut it off right there. Do you like your feet tickled? He asked me. Tickling my mother-in-law's feet makes me a little horny. I wish it was my wife, but she's not here right now. And that's where I kind of blanked and realized that this guy didn't call because he was concerned about a noise complaint. He's rambling on about his mother-in-law's feet while I'm at the front desk simultaneously helping other guests, and I can't put down the phone because I just can't believe I'm in this situation. Then I get the thought in the back of my mind that the mother-in-law's laughing just a bit too much. She hadn't said anything throughout the entire phone call like stop it or quit it. Her laughs were all the same like they were on a freaking loop or something. Someone came to check in and I had to tell feet creep that I had to go. He sort of hesitated for a bit like he wanted me to stay and talk a bit longer. His voice trailed off and I still heard the lady laughing in the background. I took that as my cue to hang up. 
I closed the blinds in the lobby and kept my ass behind the desk, unless my help was desperately needed elsewhere. The dude talking about him tickling his mother-in-law's feet wasn't the thing that really scared me. It was more of the fact that the feet creep's call came through the superset phone without his last name and room number displayed on the caller ID. So I mean, I didn't know who was calling or if they were even in-house. That and because I'm pretty sure that the woman in the background was definitely a recording. It was really creepy. I work part-time at a grocery store, and I usually work the closing shift. About 30 minutes to close, a lady comes up to my register. She's polite, friendly, and she seemed pretty normal. She pays for her groceries, I hand her the receipt, and she leaves. Seemed normal enough. Well, about 10 minutes after we close, I headed out to my bike, but she had actually stopped me right before I left the store claiming that she had left her phone inside the store and that she needed to get it. Well, she hadn't left her phone. It would have been in my register and I had thoroughly cleaned it as well as its surrounding area right before I had clocked out. But I had offered to go in and check on it anyway because maybe it had dropped at the floor or something. I wanted to go home and luckily my manager had offered to call her phone, so I headed to my bike to get going. The moment that I take the lock off my bike, she drives over to me, making small talk. It's a bit weird seeing as I'm clearly trying to get home and, I mean, she doesn't know me at all. She tells me that I have a cool bike, asking me where I got it. I explain to her that it's electric and that I just got it from Amazon. She tells me that she didn't know they made electric bikes, and then a few minutes later says, I've actually been looking to get an electric bike for a while now. Really weird stuff. She asked to take a picture of my bike, and then suddenly asked me why I was still wearing a mask, then going on about how he could give me sinus problems. I decide not to take it off since she's taking a photo, which I noticed the camera is aimed more at me than my bike, even though that I stepped away so that she could get a better view of the bike by itself. Unknown to me, my manager and another worker were watching this whole interaction, and after this woman finally left, they came over to me and asked if I was okay. I didn't really think too much of it, telling them that it was fine and that all she wanted to know was about my bike. I headed home, but while I was on my way there, I thought a bit more about the whole interaction. She came back to the store claiming to have lost her phone, but then had it on her the whole time. She took a picture with it. She also kept repeating my name in our conversation as often as she could, almost like she was trying to memorize it. She took a photo of me as well as my mode of transportation, all while trying to get me to take my mask off right before taking it, as if to be able to see my entire face or something. Sorta of creepy. Even weirder was when I turned my back to the store to see if she was still there. I saw a police car, which after leaving the parking lot, turned on its sirens and then sped off in the direction that the lady left in. Maybe I'm overthinking, but this interaction just really seems strange to me. Anyway... I want you guys to let me know if you think I'm overthinking things, or if you'd be creeped out too. I'm really wondering now if it's just all in my head. Okay, so for a tiny bit of background, I used to work at this drive-up coffee shop that sells coffee and snacks like bagels, muffins, etc. I live in a relatively small town that's about ten to 15,000 people and I had never had anything like this happen before, 
so I was pretty shaken up. Alright, so it was a Sunday night and it was a closing shift all by myself for the first time ever. And it was getting kind of late and virtually no one was coming through. So I was just doing some closing activities like sweeping, mopping, etc. This is important to know because we stored the mop and broom in a separate room that can only be accessed by going outside and unlocking the room with a key. So I had the employee entrance door unlocked since I was going in and out. It's starting to get dark and I'm due to leave in about an hour when this old Ford then drives up. The driver was an older man, maybe about 40 or so. I wasn't too phased by it though because a lot of people work on oil rigs in my town and if they're on night shift, they'll stop by for a pick-me-up before making the three-hour drive out to the rigs. I open the window and I ask him what he'd like to order. This is where it gets weird. He didn't order any coffee or food. No. He just asked me, Are you working alone tonight? I most certainly was working alone that night, and I just felt my blood run cold. Thankfully, I'm smart enough to lie, and I then respond back with, Oh no, my coworker will be back in a second, and my manager's coming here in about five minutes. He needs to take inventory. At this point, the man looks right past me into the shop, directly at the crank door behind me, and gives me this really creepy smile before pulling forward and signaling to turn around on a road that goes right next to the open door. As soon as he could no longer see me, I jump over, slam the door shut, and lock the door and the deadbolt. I was worried to leave the building that night because I didn't want to walk across the parking lot to my car. I thought he might be lingering around the area, waiting for me to get off work. I'm really glad I never told him I was working by myself. Who the hell knows what could have happened if I did? This is by far the scariest thing that has ever happened to me. For some background, it only happened two days ago. Let's start from the beginning. I work the night shift in a grocery store in my small hometown. It's usually a fairly uneventful shift, with usually between three to five other employees in the store packing the shelves for the following day. I was on the toiletries lane, which is unusual to me, but I was covering for a sick coworker, so whatever. No big deal. It was around 11pm at this point and I was filling my aisle with my earphones in. And while I work, I really like to listen to true crime podcasts, which probably made this whole ordeal even worse. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the whole closed section of the store was closed, which also has an entrance door. This will be important later. Certain sections of the closed section were closed off with items we may need. I really needed to get toilet rolls from over there. All the lights were off. It was literally pitch black. My senses were already pretty heightened due to the crime podcast that I had playing on my phone. I had my phone flashlight on. I was walking towards the toilet rolls that I needed, pulling a trolley right behind me. I was stacking the paper right under the trolley when I then heard a tap. Almost like a stone or coin had been thrown and hit off the floor. Since I had one earphone out, I heard this. I thought nothing of it, however, as usually all the doors are locked by now. Then it happened again. I looked up, startled, and tried to look into the darkness beyond the pallet of items that I was standing at. Through the very deep darkness, I then heard a quiet, psst, and then snapped my head around to see what I thought was a figure of a man hiding under a shelf of the clothes. I flashed my phone's flashlight over and heard the clothes rustling, 
Then a hand came out slowly from behind the rack and then waved at me. I turned and ran, pulling the trolley behind me. When I got back to my aisle, all out of breath, my manager came over. He had seen me running out of the clothes section and he was wondering what was wrong. I tried to appease him by saying that I was just rushing to get my work done as I just had a lot to do. This might sound silly, but my managers are all super strict and I just thought there was no way he would believe me. For whatever reason, he was in a good mood that night though, and I eventually told him that I thought I'd seen a person behind a rack of clothes over in the other section. He looked really shocked, and he went to turn the lights on over in that section straight away. He then asked me and two of my other co-workers to come over with him to check the section out. We all went over, with our box cutter knives in our hands, just in case he was still there. I was sure he would be there. I mean, how would he have gotten out? I thought. We walked over to where I'd seen the figure and found the rack of clothes then pushed over and the clothes which turned out to be a shirt rack pretty much sprawled all over the floor. We all searched the section but we didn't find anything. That was the most agonizing few moments of my life. Every corner I turned, I was readying myself to come across him or hear one of my coworkers shout that they had found him. Still though, nothing. Then out of nowhere, there was a shout that came from the door. We all ran over and we found one of the automatic exit doors pushed open just enough for someone to squeeze out of it. It turns out that the security guard had unlocked that door after closing it. The door opens into a vast car park that's on a main road, so he was long gone. We looked at the cameras and saw a man wearing a hood, black leather gloves, and a face mask squeeze out the door. Due to the hood and mask though, it was pretty much impossible to do anything once the cops came. The footage was useless and there wasn't any fingerprints anywhere as he was wearing gloves. They just said to call again if he was found or if anything like this happened again. It was a serious mistake on the security guard's behalf though, but one that could have worked out very differently had I not been so unwilling to tell my manager. I still think we could have caught him if I told him sooner. It'll definitely be a while before I ever feel comfortable working nights again. Hey everyone, sorry for the interruption on the stories, but I wanted to thank today's sponsor BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I've dealt with depression myself, so I know how it goes. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp truly wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cannibal. That's BetterHelp. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
and the Dinner Table listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Cannibal. For a little backstory, this all took place when COVID-19 had shut everything down in March 2020. I was sent home from my college and I had to do with Zoom classes, and I also went back to work at the burger joint that I would work at whenever I was home on breaks. I won't say the name of the place, but it was always very busy, and during COVID it made us even busier due to us being a fast food place, so we never had to close down, but other places in the plaza did. We always had some really crazy and nasty people, but the pandemic just made everyone so much worse. At the time, we had this one regular that would come in who we thought had some mental problems multiple times a week. He would be really emotionless in his talking and just gave really blank dead stares towards everyone and just stood there like a gargoyle, really intimidating and statuesque. He would ride his bike up to the walk-up area and look through the sliding windows until one of us got to taking his order. But he only really liked certain people to take his order and was also very cold towards us. He would order the same thing every time, but once it fresh right out of the grease and handled by once again only certain people. And to make sure of it, he'll intensely stare at us through the pickup window. He would make the other customers outside so uncomfortable that they would walk away or they would just sit in their cars until he left. He used to only come in during the day shifts, but because days were much busier than the night shifts, and with all his demands that he would give us every time, my manager got fed up and told him to no longer come here during the day, thus now making him a night shift problem. During the week, I would work night shifts because of class, and I would usually be clocking out by 10pm. It was around 9.30 and I was closing my side down and starting to clean when he then rolled up on his bike. I happened to be one of the few people he let take his order, so as usual I took his order. He wants everything completely fresh, the standard list of demands. But one demand he gave was new. He always orders a side of fries with his meal, and sometimes to put the fries in the carton we either use a scooper or tongs. He asked us to use the scooper instead of the tongs because it'll give him more fries. Me just wanting him to leave and being close to leaving myself, I just went over and told the fry guy what he wanted. The fry guy just rolled his eyes, knowing how annoying this guy is, and dropped some new fries in the grease for him. The fry guy went on a break shortly after, and the night manager took over a station and waited for the fries to be ready. She didn't know it was this guy though, and she used the tongs to put the fries in the carton. She then hands me the order to pass out. The guy slides open the window, and he told me that she didn't do what he asked and that he wants more fries in his bag, since it looked like she didn't put enough in, which she put plenty in. He just didn't get his way. Once again, just wanting to leave after I'm done with him, I just oblige and go back. My coworker, who I'm going to call Lee calls back and says that I shouldn't let him do that. I then called back saying that we've been letting him control us for months and it's not my problem to handle a manager's problem if he has issues. My night manager hears this and sees it's the guy at the window. They then groan and they ask me what the issue is with him this time. I explained her the story and she went up to him and told him that it makes no difference what she does. He's getting his order fresh every single time by the people he wants to make his order, so to just suck it up and take the bag. She hands in the back and then storms in the back to finish her inventory. The guy then pokes his arm and head in the window and tries to get one of the other co-workers to remake his order. Co-worker and I both said that we're not going to do that since there was nothing even wrong with his food. 
Well, he doesn't like this, and he actually throws his bag of food inside the store and spills it all over the floor. He sees this and absolutely loses it. She runs over to the window that he's still in and then screams at him how he can't disrespect us like this and that we for sure won't be remaking his order now, but we'll give him his money back. He then screams at her and they actually go at it for a few minutes. I call up the dime manager and she runs up to also scream at him. As he gives the guy back his money, he actually grabs her arm and then yanks her almost through the window. Now, because of the pandemic, we have these plastic dividers at the top of where the customer would be speaking to. So if that wasn't there, she would have went straight through the window. Now everyone is screaming at this guy to get the hell out of there and that we're calling the cops as he just assaulted a minor. Earlier that week, he had racial slurs screamed at her by a bunch of rednecks because she was black. I felt really bad for her dealing with two big issues that happened in such a short period of time. She broke out of his grasp and ran to the back. The guy didn't even leave. In his crazy twisted mind, he thought he was in the right here. He was running in circles outside of our walk-up area and was actually screaming to himself about E and how he's going to set the cops on us. He tries banging on the windows to further get our attention, but we just ignored him. Four cop cars drove in blocking the entrance and the exit of the drive-thru so that no one can come in or leave. They talk to him and the guy just isn't grasping that he attacked a minor and he's crazy. The owner of the company sends in the security footage of just what happened to the cops and we set the guy on trespassing. The guy actually had to be escorted off the property because he wouldn't leave. He thankfully hasn't come in since that day, but we still see him riding around the road next to our place, and he gives us menacing looks every time he passes by, not once breaking eye contact. He really wasn't right in the head. The dead stares he would give us through the windows, the emotionless way he would speak to us, how picky he was with everything, and how quick he snapped and resorted to violence. It was insane. Very fortunately, he didn't get any injuries from the incident and was only shaken up, but she did quit a few weeks later, and I can't really blame her. I feel really bad for her. No one should ever have to deal with being assaulted by customers or having racial slurs spewed at them. She was way too young to have to deal with that. In May 2020, I moved into an apartment all by myself after moving out of a university residence. I went grocery shopping to Walmart, and this was before the masks were widely used, since they got super expensive and would run out super quickly. I remember this dude that had walked up to me when I was in the aisle, and he then asked, Hi, excuse me, are you from Montreal? Which I then said no. He then asked me if my name was Sarah. It's not, so I said no and that he was confusing me for someone else. He kind of just kept staring at me until I think he ended up seeing my name on my university bus card that was hanging around my neck. He then asked me where I was given my non-white name. And I was like, oh, I'm from Pakistan. And he totally freaked. He seemed weirdly happy as I guess he was from India and had found a person who could speak a language similar to his. After that, I had remembered that I had forgotten my wallet at home and went to the other part of the store, then excusing myself and calling a friend. Anyway, so I guess this dude had enough information to stalk me online for over a year and has proceeded to try and add me pretty much everywhere. Despite me blocking him, he just made new accounts. Turns out he's a really big fan of me. That's what he said anyways. 
Long story short, I told the police and they of course did nothing since the guy hasn't actually physically hurt me nor have I seen him in public again. Just the occasional friend requests and message requests on Instagram and Facebook. The last time he tried to add me, which was last month I believe, I ended up telling him off and told him that the police knows all about him. But yeah, I really hope he hasn't been stalking me from the shadows, given that I've never once put any information about where I live on social media and all my accounts are private. Some people just really have issues. No one really understands just how dangerous social media can be. It really is such a different world where anyone can be whoever they want. I was 16 years old at the time that this story happened. I was always on MySpace. You know, typical teenager stuff. I'd get a few messages here and there. There was this one kid though who would constantly send me messages. I would reply sometimes. Typical hello, what's up, that kind of thing. I thought nothing of it. One day me and my friend, let's call her Hannah, was walking around the city, per usual. We had stopped in this complex building that was near my house just to take a break. We were sitting on the stairs when some guy came up behind us and said to Hannah, Hey, do you have a lighter? She says no, and he walks away. Then about 15 minutes later, he comes back and then just stood behind me. I start to see in my peripheral vision a hand movement. So I turned a little more around, and I saw his hand and his pants moving up and down while facing me. My heart instantly went into my stomach. I started writing on my phone in a text to Hannah, and I said that I think he's touching himself. We both felt stuck. He then sat down next to Hannah, and he was so close he was actually touching her arm. I pretended to be on the phone so that maybe he would leave. He looks at Hannah, then goes, Is her name Nadia? Hannah was instantly scared and she then blurted out, Ask her yourself. But I was still pretending to be on the phone. About five minutes later, the security guard had walked around and had then said hello to us, then talked to the kid. Let's call him Antonio. Hey, what's up Antonio? You hanging with these ladies tonight? I knew that help had to be written all over my face. Why can't he see it? The security guard then says, well, if I hear of two white girls that go missing, I guess I know who to call. At this point, I'm starting to feel more sick than I already did. The security guard then left, and yet Hannah and I are still sitting there feeling more stuck than ever. A few minutes later after this, one of his friends comes along and then says, Wanna come inside? I finally have enough energy to say no, and that I have to go meet up with my cousin. As we start to stand up, Antonio's friend stands up in front of me and then says, Come on, just for a little bit. I said no, and then me and Hannah started walking towards the exit, as my house is right up the hill. And what do you know? They both start following us. We get inside this tunnel, and Hannah says to take off your shoes so that we can run, and that we don't want them hearing where we go. So there we are barefoot, now running like our lives depended on it. We get onto my street, run up to my house, go into the back hallway, it was actually so quiet, all I could hear was myself trying to catch my breath and my heart just beating in my ears. I started looking at Hannah scared, just hiding behind a wall staring at the glass door, waiting to see if someone would pop up. We did eventually calm each other down. I thought everything was over until the next morning when I logged into MySpace, I had a message from him that then said, I just want you to know I know what house you live in. 
with my street name listed. I then blocked him on MySpace, and I never walked past that complex ever again. A few weeks later, I actually found out that he was in jail, and from what I know now at 25 years old, he's still in jail. I can only imagine what he did, but I just really hope to never run into him. Well, again that is. This all started so innocuously. I'm an actor and physique bodybuilder trying to make it into jobs, into modeling and acting. The time this was going on, I couldn't find any work in the field. I had just gotten done with a toxic working relationship with my last modeling coach, and I was just really eager to find some kind of work to do. I was browsing my Instagram when I had noticed a guy post on one of my videos, saying that I was handsome and that he actually might have a job available for me. I was at the gym at the time and set in my mind to do so when I got back home. When I first started talking with this guy, things started off really well, but then some warning bells started going off. He wanted me to star in a parody version of a certain action movie, but when I asked him which production company was backing this, he said, We'll let you know that once you've signed with us. Well, I knew from acting classes that you should never sign with someone who can't or won't tell you about their production company in such a way like this. I then refused to be involved with them, and I told him I wasn't interested. I thought that would be the end of it. It wasn't. It was about a week or two later when I noticed the fake accounts. They were made by some guy spreading all these outrageous rumors about me saying that I was gay and in a relationship with the same guy who I rejected, and the two had full-on psycho conversations with each other, trying to make it seem like this fake account was really me. I reported the account to Instagram, and before long it was gone, only for two more to then pop up. The guy now seemed angrier. He started openly insulting me in the fake profiles, and also insulting anyone I seemed to like or respect. This went on for some time, me reporting his fake slanderous profiles of me and him just making more. It got worse and worse. He would insult all my friends and claim that I hated black people, Asian people, and so on. He even claimed once that I planned on sleeping with the wife of one of my good friends. That was really the last straw. I sent him an angry message on one of his latest accounts telling him to fuck off and that he's not me and that I'll smack down as many of his creepy stalker accounts as possible and that I would never work with him or like him. This seemed to quiet things down for a while. Little did I know that he was moving from Instagram to fake Facebook and Twitter handles in my name. I was just relaxing after my day job one day, nothing really going on, and I got a phone call. I answered it, not knowing who it was. It was my hometown's police department, letting me know that I had apparently said some really disturbing things online on Twitter specifically. That couldn't be. I didn't even have a Twitter. I went outside to meet the cops and they said that someone using my name had actually announced that I would live stream my suicide on social media. They checked in to see if I was okay and I then explained to the cops all that had been happening. Apparently some of my old gym friends noticed what was going on and then notified the cops. Having had this happen, I really couldn't help but wonder I knew who was responsible, I knew why, but the involvement of the police made me think, 
Maybe he hoped to make the police crash into my house and possibly kill me in the ensuing chaos, purely because I refused to be involved with him romantically. On the advice of the cops, I set most of my social media to private and shut down all the other accounts, and this seemed to do it. The fake accounts finally stopped showing up. He did try several more times to frame me, using accounts with no pictures to gain access, whereupon he would spread rumors that I was a racist or homophobe. But the occasion this happened, I was contacted by a guy who let me know what was going on. I realized who was responsible, and from then on, I would never accept Instagram follow requests. I haven't heard anything from the stalker since. Though even today, with all of this mostly over, whenever I see an Instagram follow request with no profile picture, I still find myself thinking maybe this is him trying to access me again, Also, so he can continue the stalking. Whenever the whole COVID thing is over, I really hope that I can go back to my gym without any trouble. And for his sake, I really hope he keeps socially distanced from me. And I mean forever. I recently received a friend request that reminded me of this story, so I'm going to share it here. This happened after I went to university, so I was 18. I had really made an effort to make new friends after I moved on to campus, and I ended up with a few groups to hang out with including a new girlfriend and plenty of people from my classes that I liked well enough. There was one class right before lunch where it was traditional for people to go to the cafeteria afterwards to eat in pairs of threes. I wasn't very discerning about who I'd have lunch with because I got on fine with most people from the class, and we were all trying to make an effort to be social. So when one girl, Lily, asked if I wanted to eat lunch together after that class, I didn't have any reason not to go. We kind of just talked about school and that kind of thing. Nothing really noteworthy, but she did ask me to get lunch with her again the next week. It became a pattern and there wasn't exactly a way to start saying no suddenly. It was fine, but it did mean that I lost the chance to eat lunch with anyone else on those days. In hindsight, I suppose that was the point. One day while in class, I had asked someone if I could add them on social media. This happened right in front of Lily. I saw her face jerk towards me from a couple of seats over. It was such a sharp reaction that it was really hard to ignore, and I still remember it. By the time I got home later that day, Lily had sent me a friend request. No friends in common. I really don't know how she knew my last name. I was a bit surprised, but I guess that she had just dug through the university's social media pages and found me through there or something. It gave me a bad feeling, but surely it was fine, right? She ended up messaging me a lot and also commenting on anything I posted. I told myself that she was just awkward and we became friends, if not close. I'd known worse people. She still always got me to go eat lunch with her after our one shared class. Other than that, we had rarely spent time together in person. I saw her around sometimes, but I never went out of my way to hang out with her. So it was mostly online messaging and just seeing each other in group settings. Very coincidentally, my girlfriend was also called Lily. This was something that clearly bothered Lily. Not my girlfriend who couldn't have found it less interesting. It was just a common name to her. Well, the other Lily had occasionally hinted that she wanted my girlfriend to pick a different name or joked about her not suiting it. She very clearly didn't like my girlfriend at all and I had no idea why. It was kind of hard to ignore by this point. 
Lily was starting to unsettling hint that she had a crush on me. I tried not to address it because what was I going to say to that? I've never really known what to do when a friend makes a pass at me, and I was also not interested in the least. Even ignoring the weird stuff that she pulled, Lily wasn't my type at all. She tended to dress and act in a way somewhere between a 50s housewife and one of those adults who still obsess with Disney princesses, if you can picture that. Things took a really uncomfortable turn on the day of our last shared class of the year. Instead of asking me to lunch like she usually did, Lily had asked me if I'd go for a walk with her. Once again, I didn't really know exactly how to refuse it, so I said okay. Our campus was bordered by a large patch of woodland. Lily led me into the woods, and the sounds of our fellow students slowly faded away. She sat down on a log, and I joined her. She started talking about how she was going to miss me over the summer. I tried placating her, but I didn't want to be there, especially because she seemed almost on the verge of tears. I think I tried to make an excuse about having plans with my girlfriend, but before I could leave, Lily chose to kiss me without warning. It was uncomfortable to say the least. I got out of there and I was happy to think I wouldn't see her for a while. I came back to university after the summer, moving into a house with my friends. Without going off topic, there were some serious issues in my friend group. A lot of petty arguing and worse. I broke up with my girlfriend at the start of that school year as well, and basically the whole mess made me recontextualize things with Lily because it suddenly didn't seem as bad now. That being said, I didn't want to be alone with her. We mostly just talked online. She was still constantly messaging me after all. One upside of everything was that I started dating a boy. Well, Lily wasn't too pleased to hear that news. I think she hoped to sneak in after I broke up with my girlfriend. But as I said before, that was never going to happen. There wasn't a big gap between my breakup and this new relationship, so she must have thought she missed her chance to be with me. This is where the story gets bad. Around this time, I was fairly active on Tumblr. I occasionally talked about my life and mostly reblogged photos and stuff. I was on there one day when something really odd happened. One of the blogs I followed had received an ask with some phrases I recognized. It took a second to register that it was taken from my about page. That made me freeze. I read the message properly. Someone was asking this completely random person to analyze a section of text from my page, asking for their opinion on the type of person who would write it. I can't stress enough how messed up it was to see people talking about me like I was a character in a book or something that they were trying to study. The reply was basically, I don't know, sorry. But the important thing was that the question hadn't been anonymous. It was linked to someone's blog. Obviously, I really wanted to know who had taken such a bizarre interest in me. As far as I knew, no one in real life other than my boyfriend knew about my page. Well, no prizes for guessing who was behind it. What I found was like a shrine. She was using a fake name, but I recognized Lily all over that thing. It was this cutesy pink and red page. There were a few posts about her interest, but most of the content was focused on her primary interest. Me. Most of the posts were all about me. There were all the accounts of things that I had done recently. He told me about such and such. He went to a nightclub recently, etc. As well as references to things from as far back as I'd known her. It was clear she'd been keeping tabs on me, both online and offline. 
gathering up every scrap of information she could find about my life and then hoarding it here in her collection. She talked about us eating lunch together and how special our dates had been to her, as if it was anything more than just acquaintances getting food after class. She talked about the time where she had forcibly kissed me in the woods, but she wrote it as if it had been mutual. She quoted lyrics from my favorite song and talked about how she'd always be there for me, no matter who else came into my life. There were lots of references to loving me just the way he is, which answered another mystery about an anonymous love letter that I'd received earlier that year with the same wording. It got even worse. There were a lot of posts about my boyfriend as well. These weren't so nice. They got vicious, talking about how he didn't deserve me and he didn't know what he had. That if she was with me, she'd be jealous of anyone else who came near me. So my boyfriend not being a jealous person meant he didn't love me. It was really angry and hateful. I didn't like to think about the sort of person who could write so obsessively being fixated on me. One thing that didn't make sense at first was that the block was also made of plenty of references to Lily's best friend, Steven. She had never mentioned this person to me. Her post had really talked a lot about Steven. Things like how great of a friend he was, how much fun they had together, how he looked out for her, etc. I was trying to work out whether this was an online friend, when one specific post made it all click. She had posted a photo and captioned it with, Steven sent this to me. He knew that I would like it and love it, or something like that. The problem was, the photo was taken from my own page. I hadn't sent it to her. She took it from my own page and then claimed this fictional best friend of hers shared it with her. Because in her head, she'd split me into two people. And her messed up fantasy life, I was both the perfect best friend who was always looking out for her, as well as her soulmate who was bound to end up with her when I finally got over my boyfriend and all the other easy girls that I hung out with that she made dozens of posts complaining about. Who was she complaining to, you might ask? Oh, Lily had an audience. She asked open questions about me and her relationship with me, and actually got messages back from her followers. People who took what she said at face value. I saw a bunch of random people agreeing with this stalker that my boyfriend didn't deserve me, and that we were bound to break up soon so I could be with Lily. The person I was clearly supposed to be with. She had this fake fanfiction version of my life up for anyone to share their opinion on, and she had made herself out to be the hero of it all. I went maybe a month back into this page's history. I didn't look at everything that was there. It was just way too much, so I'm not really sure how long this had been going on. I sent Lily a message confronting her all about the blog. She said nothing. I really can't stress how weird it was to have found pages and pages dedicated to me, with her talking about how she was in love with me and would make absolutely sure we ended up together slamming my boyfriend and building a fantasy life with two different versions of me in it that she clearly believed to be real, then acting like it hadn't happened. She said nothing. She didn't address it, she just changed the subject. Even after I pushed, it was like she hadn't even registered what I said. I've never seen anything else like it in my life. She deleted the page, of course, or at least changed the name and hid it so that I never found it again. It wasn't the end, though. I wasn't going to hang out with her anymore, but we were still shoved together in classes, and she had started to actually scare me with what she might do next. I'm kind of a paranoid person. Knowing someone was obsessively keeping track of me for who knows how long really freaked me out. 
The next thing she pulled was trying to seduce my boyfriend. It was an absolutely useless attempt that really only made him uncomfortable. He told me all about it right away. What was her plan there? Did she hope to tell me that he cheated and wait for me to break up with him? Why the hell would I want her after that? Well, when that didn't work out for her, she then tried hitting on three of my other friends. None of them took the bait. She ended up dating one of my former housemates for a while, but she made sure to send me messages while they were together, letting me know that she'd rather be with me. Yeah, no thanks. Lily made sure to stay in my life the whole time I was at university. There was actually a time when I tried to pull away from her, and she ended up starting rumors about me and damaging a career opportunity that I'd put a lot of work into. I don't know what else she did behind my back, but it really made me realize that it was safer to let her think that she was a part of my life all while ignoring her, rather than doing something that would cause her to get angry. After I graduated, Lily still wanted to spend time together, but I knew I didn't have to now. I made excuses about work and I barely even talked to her after that point. I almost entirely stopped posting on social media that I knew she knew about. Of course, she didn't give up that easily. She tried to start conversations, asking me to meet up with her, attempts that I usually ignored. I really didn't like to think that she was still tracking me online, but she probably was. I don't know how, but she'd occasionally reference things that I mentioned online somewhere. Somewhere that she definitely shouldn't have known about. The last time we had a real conversation, she had sent me a message out of nowhere. We hadn't spoken at all in months, and we hadn't talked about anything serious in even much longer than that. Thinking about that conversation still makes my skin crawl, but I'll summarize what happened. At first, she asked me some questions about how long had I known I was queer. I just told her some basic stuff, the kind of thing that I'd tell anyone who asked. Then she changed the subject. She then started talking about how I would feel about her if she was a boy, about wanting to be a boy for me. The messages then quickly became fetishistic. She went into plenty of detail about fantasy she had about the two of us. Again, we weren't even friends at this point. We'd never been especially close, at least not from my perspective and we had barely spoken for years. I really can't imagine sending messages like that to even a close friend, let alone someone who barely knows you. I tried telling her not to be pulling this crap with me, but she decided to change tactics. She had sent photos of herself followed by a bunch of messages, basically quoting back to me what I told her about myself and my past from earlier. She was telling me these things as if they had happened to her. She was literally role-playing as me. The worst part was that she actually seemed to believe that it was real, that those things had actually happened to her, even when she was quoting me word for word. Things that I told her only hours before were now apparently her life. It was like she was trying to absorb my history or something to take it over, to make my own life part of hers. Yeah, I didn't talk to her again after that. I ignored all future attempts she made to talk to me, and I eventually even silently deleted her from all the inactive social media, which was her only real way of contacting me. I really did think that she might finally move on. Well, a few days ago, she had sent me a friend request. It's sitting there unanswered because I know if I delete it, she'll just send another one. Lily and I met nearly 12 years ago. This story is just the highlights, and even then, 
It's only the stuff I know about for sure. A lot of it happened behind my back. I know it did. So girl who spent 12 years obsessing over me, fetishizing me, stalking me, and harassing me, I really hope to never hear from you again. The sick and twisted fantasy life you built for me for the two of us in your head is the only place you'll be seeing me anytime soon. This all took place when I was 14 years old, camping in a little area of land in western Maryland where lots of my mom's family had little cabins. This was in the middle of nowhere on private property, and everyone in the mountain was related to us one way or another. We grew up spending the summers all around the campfire, telling scary stories and running around with all of my cousins. Quick explanation of layout. Imagine a large capital T for a road. And above that T, by 150 feet, ran a savage river. If you went left on the T, it would take you past multiple family houses, but also dense forests that cut off the road. And if you went all the way right of the T, it was my mom's tiny cabin, which is where we stayed. I often went off on my own, preferring it that way. I was about to do just that when my aunt had asked to tag along with me. She's 14 years older than I am, and she's still quite a big kid. She had pink hair at the time, was covered in tattoos, and was almost six feet tall, so not an easily intimidated woman. So I decided that we'd go all the way to the left into the dense forest, and she seemed to be fine with that, admitting that she'd come with me so that she could smoke a joint, and to also keep out of eyesight of my disapproving grandmother. Now, I was a pretty good kid, and even though she offered me a hit, the thought of drugs still really scared me, so I declined. From the end of the road was a super rough dirt path that led into the woods, with the river still running 150 feet above the path. If you were to walk towards the river, it goes down a downward slope. A few miles in, you'll actually come across one of those legendary random staircases that led to absolutely nowhere. On this particular day, I had taken the dirt path and had walked down the 150 feet along the river, watching the fish in the crawl dead scurry as my aunt got high as a kite just a little bit behind me. I was kind of in my own little world when I suddenly heard a click noise that brought me right back to reality. I looked around and I was kind of confused. Then my eyes landed on some man that I've never seen before, standing across the river from me, no more than 15 feet from me. He must have just walked out of the woods on the other side of the river or something. It's summer, but he's in a black jacket, raggedy jeans, and he's holding one of those old cheap non-digital yellow cameras that would roll the top, and then it would click to be able to take another picture. I was pretty stunned because I'd really never seen anyone other than my family anywhere around the area in all the years that I'd been going up there. The man then smiled at me, then slightly lowered his camera. He was older, probably 40s, and very scruffy. He was also tall and kind of thin. He takes a step forward and I in turn take a step back. He scrolls the top of the camera and then points it directly at me yet again. I'm literally at a loss of words and all I can manage to do is take another step back, almost slipping on a rock as I do. That's when my aunt stumbles through the trees and is mid-sentence about how much she missed being high when she then stopped and stared at the man. I started staring at my aunt at this point, frozen like a deer in headlights. I slowly turn and he's not looking at my aunt. He's still just staring right at me. He clicks the camera yet again right at us. 
The man then does something else that makes my blood run cold and turns the situation from weird to terrifying. The man then does that tut-tut-tut thing with his finger and points to what looks like a knife that's sheathed and strapped to his hip and then points to a finger that he slices across his throat. That's the moment where I went into autopilot. I spun around and began barreling through the trees, grabbing onto my aunt in the process. My heart began pounding as I ran, though I could have sworn I heard one more click right before hearing the splashing from behind me. I almost collapsed because my legs felt like jelly. The river is really deep in certain parts, but where I had been, we were at a point where the water would have only been thigh deep to a grown man. I tore upwards and ran blindly, like a rabbit from a fox. When we finally saw the stairs, my aunt quickly yanked me to the other side and then slid down beside me as we caught our breath. I was wheezing so loud that I actually had to cover my mouth to try and muffle the sound. I peer around but the trees are so dense that I can't see the river from the stairs. But even with my hammering heartbeat, I can hear the snapping of branches, almost like someone barreling through the forest. Now I'm terrified. It's not an easy straight trail back into my family's property. You kind of have to weave around, and in certain spots it really dips and gets rocky, so you have to do like a nest shape to get through. There's lots of random rocks just about everywhere, and it would be really easy to twist an ankle or smack into a tree in my panic. Not to mention, we always tread carefully and look where we're going because there's also so many snakes in that area as well. I'm now sobbing and wheezing very badly, and we still had another few miles until we'd even hit the first part of my family's property. Along with my roaring heartbeat, I begin to hear a really cheery tune. The man's whistling, and it's getting closer. My mind is racing, but I know we can't stay. Neither one of us had any type of weapon, and staying there was making it harder for me to convince myself to run as paralyzing terror then crept in. My legs and arms are already cut up, and before I can decide what to do, my aunt pulls me towards the T-Road desperately, just stumbling and running. I don't make it more than another mile before I misstep and trip over a branch, tripping and smacking headfirst right into a tree. I crumble over and taste blood. I had apparently bit through my lip in the fall. I'm pretty damn dazed, but my adrenaline is still pumping, so I scramble to a tree as my aunt turns and notices that I'm not right behind her. She scrambles back and then drops to her knees in front of me, then whispering. She keeps repeating to me that we need to keep going. I'm shaking so bad though that I don't think I can walk, much less run. I have probably another mile and a half until I'm on my family's property, but another two until we're at an occupied cabin, my grandmother's. My ears are ringing and I'm hardly paying attention to my aunt's frantic pleas. I completely psych myself out again and keep looking behind me, but I don't see anything. She decides that she's not going to waste any more time because of stupid me and half drags me up and forward. I hobble forward as quick as I can as she continues to pull me really quickly. The rest is pretty much a blur until we break through the woods. Most of my family wasn't there at the time, so we only stop when we make it to my grandmother's and I just run in absolutely sobbing at this point. No one locks their doors around there and my grandmother takes one horrified look at both me and my aunt, who's also equally cut up and scared looking and yells for my grandfather, who promptly takes over and grabs his rifle. I couldn't put into sentences what had just happened, so my aunt takes over, leaving out the part about her being high as a kite. My grandfather and grandmother go cabin to cabin, gathering the men and their guns, as well as warning the women and children about what just occurred. 
There's no signal up there, so calling the sheriff wasn't really an option. And to get up to the mountain, if they left immediately, that would take over an hour to get there. It's also getting dark now. The roads leading up to the property are so windy and steep, you'd have to be out of your mind to try and drive up them in the dark anyway. My mother eventually got word and came over. She took one look at my aunt and said that I had probably just gotten high with her, which in turn made us overly paranoid, and that when we saw the random fisherman who was trespassing, we jumped to conclusions and had probably startled him just as much as he startled us. She continued by saying that I probably just imagined that he was taking my picture or chasing us, though my aunt had been the one to repeatedly retell the story. My aunt stood up and yelled at my mother, saying that I was a good kid and didn't do anything, and that we really were telling the truth. They began screaming at each other until my grandmother made them stop, telling the both of them to grow up. Even with the men of my family scouring the woods, they never did see any sign of the man that we encountered in the woods. For the first time in a really long time though, everyone in the mountain locked their doors that night. And to this day, all I can wonder is if I'm really part of some creepy picture collection. But considering what all could have happened, I think I can live with that. I am 19 now, but this happened when I was 12. It was the beginning of summer and me and my three friends, while we named Gerald, Bethany, and Daniel, wanted to go camping. For the context of the story, I'm a male. When all of our parents agreed to let us go camping, we had to choose whose backyard we wanted to camp on. Like I said, we were 12, so there was no way we were going to go to a campground by ourselves. Bethany's backyard was chosen because there was a small forest behind her house that we would always explore. When we got there, we went into the forest and put up our tents. The next few hours are something I cannot really remember. I don't really know why. The next thing I honestly remember is me and Daniel wanting to prank Bethany and Gerald. So, we hid behind their two tents hoping that they would not see us. It was dark now and Bethany and Gerald were both asleep. Their tents were so far apart that I could not see Daniel. I was about to walk over to Daniel to make sure he was alright because he was being very quiet. For more context, Daniel is a theater geek, so he usually is very loud and very proud. Just as I was about to go talk to him, I heard a twig snap from behind me. Turning around, I saw a figure in the distance. Thinking it was Daniel, I whispered, Daniel, what are you doing? My blood turned cold as Daniel answered me. I was walking over to you. Why? However, I did not turn around as my eyes were locked on the figure. I did not know who it was, but it was human. Soon, Daniel saw the figure too. We were just crouching there for a moment watching it. Then, the scariest noise I have ever heard came from this figure. It was a mix of a scream and a laugh. I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. After the figure shouted, it turned around and ran away. Bethany and Gerald got out of their tent and asked us what the hell was going on. I and Daniel told them to quietly get up and make a run for Bethany's back door as we were not that far away. For a few seconds they questioned us, but after we heard the noise again we all sprinted as fast as we could. The rest is a blur but all we know is that that person was never caught and we never camped out there again. Gerald has now moved to Michigan and Daniel is now in Arizona. I and Bethany are still in touch and never talk about what happened. I just wish I knew who or what that figure was 
and how they made that god-awful noise. This is a true, horrifying story that happened to my mom and dad somewhere in the early to mid-90s. I do not know why they did not tell me this story earlier. I'm a huge fan of true scary stories. I guess they just thought I was too young, and maybe it would scare me seeing as how close to home it happened. Anyway, back to the story. First a little background. My whole family has gone to the youth movement. My grandmother went, my granddaunt went, and her three children went. So naturally my mom and her younger sister did too. Both my parents became leaders, and that is how they met each other and started dating in the late 80s. After they left the youth movement, they still went to the summer camp to cook and be as they called it, adult leaders. Their job essentially was to help the leaders, who were in their late teens or early 20s. In certain unforeseen situations, for example, if a child got injured or sick or had to go to a doctor. My mom and dad were adult leaders and my aunt was a normal leader when this story took place. It was during one of the summer camps. There was one other adult leader with my parents at the time. We will call him Keith. My aunt gets really scared, so she did not feel extremely comfortable sleeping in a tent. Because of this, she would go to my parents and Keith almost every night, saying that she heard noises that sounded like footsteps around the tents. Keith was a big, scary looking guy, although he was not actually scary at all, so he would offer to go with her to look around and to see if anything was there. He always put on his big boots for this so he could catch any possible intruder. He did this every time, again and again. But every time they did this, there would never be anyone around the tents. One night, the same thing happened again. My aunt came to my mom and dad and Keith, saying that she was certain that she had heard footsteps around her tent. Keith stood up once again and told her he would look around for her. He did not think, however, that there would be something or someone there seeing as there was never anyone there before. Because of this, he did not put on his boots this time, but rather put on his slippers, which would turn out to be a big mistake. Not long after Keith had left, my parents heard him shouting and then people running across the camping place. They went out and saw Keith running after someone. Turns out someone really had been out there that night. Keith followed the intruder for a while, but because he was in his slippers, he could not run fast enough to catch them. There were woods right behind the place where the summer camp had been held at, so the person went into those woods and that's where Keith lost them. Thankfully, no harm had been done to my parents, Keith, the leaders, or the children. I believe they called the police afterward, but they never discovered who was around those tents that night and what they were doing there. The story does get scarier though. A few months after they returned from the summer camp, there was an article in the newspaper about someone who had been terrorizing and assaulting girls and women in the same area the summer camp took place in. As I said, my parents still do not know who that person was, but there's a big possibility that it's the very same man that had been attacking all those other people. It's scary to think about how close my parents and those children were to something so horrible happening to them, and I'm so glad they all got out safe. But what is even scarier is the fact that if only my aunt had not been the girl who cried wolf, and if only Keith had put on his boots that night, they might have captured him and possibly saved some girls from that terrible fate. To understand my story, 
you sort of have to know a tiny bit about trespassing laws in our country, and that we don't really have any so long as you're respectful and non-destructive. You can walk over any hills you like, and in my case, camp on any beach of your choosing, so long as once you leave the area is just how you found it. I used to really love camping when I was little. Our family would go multiple times a year with a large group of my parents' friends and their kids as well. On average, there were maybe about 10 of us at a time, which was a bit of a logistical challenge since we always headed out to this one really remote beach on the coast. Actually, we weren't the only ones. There's always yachts bobbing just off the shore, with people in them and other campers lining up and down the beach. Most of them had children or teenagers, so it wasn't really a wild party scene. It was very much an informal family holiday spot. There was even a small building with toilets and showers that were installed nearby, even though this was the middle of nowhere. I guess the local council must have figured it out and got sick of people peeing behind the bushes. We had took a trip up in spring 2011. I'm really bad with time, but I really only know this because I got my dog in winter 2010 after picking her out that November from the shelter as a birthday gift to myself. I know you guys love dogs, and she'll be very important to the story later on, so let me tell you a little bit about Parmesan. Parmesan came to me as a six-month-old puppy who had actually been rescued from a dog-fighting situation. We're not entirely sure what breed she is exactly, but my best guess is Lurcher and Staffy Mix. She's a wonderfully well-tempered dog with most people and dogs, but you absolutely do not threaten her. She'll have you. So, by the time of this camping trip, I think I'd had Parmesan for a few months. She had never come camping with us before, but as far as my family were concerned, dogs can go on camping trips. So, when we all piled into the car, she came too. Unusually though, none of the family friends could make it this time. So, this time it was only me, my sister, my dad, and my mom. I didn't really mind though. I wasn't that attached to the other kids. I'd rather play with my dog, and I mean, I'd still have my sister. The drive took the best part of six hours, and because we left a bit later, we arrived at sunset. Not a good time to be building a tent, but we expected to arrive to the other campers already set up, as well as the beach being illuminated in campfires. But that wasn't the case. The beach was empty. Despite this, my parents started taking stuff out and trying to build the tent. They asked us to fetch some of the lighter bags from the boot of the car while they sat pointing a flashlight at the sand to see properly. I rolled down the window of the car for Parmesan before getting out. It was pretty hot out for that time of the year and I wanted her to have some air. As we're fumbling about in the dark on a beach in the middle of nowhere, it's pretty spooky. The one road that led to this beach was circular and had a bridge over the water, meaning you could basically circle around the beach like a big O shape if you felt like it. I wasn't really paying any attention to the road. After maybe about 15 minutes of my dad trying to nail the tent into the sand, my mom then asks him, Have you been seeing that car drive around? I think it's been a few times now. My dad kind of just shrugged her off. He's sort of just like that. I don't really know if he had said anything back to her, but after a few more minutes, a car then pulled up right next to ours on the road, and someone got out. It was maybe about 15 or 20 feet from the cars to where we were, and the light was pretty low, except for the torches. We weren't expecting to see anyone else out here at this point, and I think I heard my mom say that it must be security. I really don't know why a random beach would have security, though. 
I think what she meant was the Wildlife Trust or something, as they do occasionally come down there to look around. The guy was now walking pretty unevenly. He must have been drunk or high because he had that stagger to him. There was absolutely no way this guy was sober. Cool. A junkie. Not an unusual find, but it's pretty rare to see them in the wild. As he walked into the range of the flashlight, we realized he was carrying a really large knife. Maybe about 15 inches. Although I was really small at the time, so maybe my sense of scale was off. I gotta give my dad some credit on this one, because once he saw this, he got up immediately. Now holding on to the camping mallet, he puts us behind him. The man began to shout at us wildly that we can't camp here and that he was just letting us know. My dad tried to initially be a bit low-key with the guy and told him that it was fine and that we'd leave, but this didn't work for the guy. He kept coming closer to us, so my dad started shouting at him, with the man shouting back. My sister and I were crying. I remember shaking. I was utterly terrified, as I'm sure anyone would be in that situation. It really did seem like this guy and my dad were going to fight, and I'm going to be honest, I didn't really fancy my dad's chances. While it's grim to consider, I'm absolutely convinced that he would have killed my dad and possibly us as well once he was done, as I just don't think my mother would have the common sense to run with us. I really love my mom, but she's always put a relationship with my dad above us. This isn't how it went down, though. A bolt from the back, like a wolf descending on its prey, took us all by surprise. Most of all, the man with the knife. Right in that exact moment, Parmesan was the apex predator. She got him good by the arm and clamped down hard, ripping his jacket and shredding the skin underneath. The man dropped his knife as it had been in the arm that she got him by. He kicked her and punched her, and he eventually got her off. He grabbed the knife from the sand, ran back to his car, and then drove off. Parmesan didn't follow him. She stayed with us, muzzle covered in blood. As quickly as we could, we gathered up all our things and all got back in the car, all pretty shook up by the incident. I looked Parmy over. She was okay, but the car's window was much more open than I'd left it. We think what happened was when the shouting had started, she must have put her paws up on the gap that I'd left for her. As it was an old car and it had the roll-down windows and not an electric button, we think that she must have been able to hit it with her paws to force it down, which was enough to squeeze out. This isn't the end of my story, though. We were all pretty scared, and since we had the dog with us, we weren't able to book a hotel for the night. My parents then decided just to drive home so we could all feel safe, but first had to drive into the nearest town for gas, as they were kind of low. I spent that time trying to clean up Parmesan a little, I'd always loved dogs, but what she had done for me just really blew my mind. As we drove into town, we then came across a gas station, but it looked closed. My dad drove up closer to get a better look, and then stuck his head out the window to try and get a better look at the sign. My mom then asked him what on earth he was doing, and he told her he was just trying to see when it opens. Never. My heart fucking sank. Parked in the corner right behind a van so we hadn't seen him at first, was the man with the knife. He was sitting on the hood of his car using some kind of tissue paper to clean up his arm. It looked pretty bad. Without stopping to refuel or look anywhere else in town, my dad drove right the hell out of there. He decided to go to the next town over, but this wouldn't work either. The next town over was 60 miles away, 
and he didn't have that much gas left. We were going to break down. My dad said it was fine though because we had double A cover. They come to us home, or at least somewhere acceptable for the night. Better than staying in the last town. After driving for maybe another five minutes, lights then flashes from behind. It's another car. The same car the man had been driving. It was him yet again, and he was now following us. He must have realized that we were low on gas. The next half hour was one of the worst half hours of my life. I had a complete and utter breakdown, as did everyone else. I could tell that both of my parents were trying to keep it under wraps so it wouldn't upset us, but we weren't little kids. We were both double digits, and we knew just how dangerous the situation was. My dad turned off the AC to conserve the gas, and the man followed us for 55 miles before he finally pulled away into another road. Our fuel meter was on the big red E for empty, and for the last 10 miles we were driving on fumes at this point. I don't really believe in God, but if he does exist, that was definitely one of his miracles. Once we got there, we drove into a gas station and then refueled to a full tank before then driving the rest of the way home. My sister and I slept in the car after that. I only woke up once we made it all the way home. Just really grateful nothing else bad happened. After getting some rest, my mom then phoned the non-emergency line for the police and reported what had happened. They never got back to her after that, but apparently the woman she spoke to said that they may wish to in the future, as the man apparently matched the description of a given suspect wanted in relation to a murder charge. No idea if he actually was that guy or just a random psycho. As I said, they never got back to her. So what's the takeaway then? Other than a crazy man on the beach, it's that I love Parmesan. She's still with us now, old as the hills and twice as grizzled. I don't know why she did what she did that day. I couldn't really tell you what her thought process was. What I will say, however, is if you're able to adopt, please do. You might find yourself in a situation just like mine one day. I promise you if you're willing to save a four-legged friend's life, they'll pay you back tenfold if they're able to, and without a single thought for their own safety. I paid $110 for Parmesan's adoption fee, which is a lot when you're a kid. But it chills me to my bones knowing that if I hadn't been so instant on getting a dog, I might be dead.